What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm UB, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion. Uh, we have a very special episode today. Um, I strongly recommend if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, one of the other podcast platforms to log in to the chooseinclusion.com website, or you don't have to log in, you can just go to the chooseinclusion.com website, link to our YouTube page, because this is going to be a video today um, because we have a really special guest. Um, AJ Moody is the head basketball coach at the Utah School for the Deaf and Blind and the owner of a joint venture consulting firm that focuses on emergency preparedness and universal design. And so we're really excited to have him on the podcast today. Before I say hi to AJ, let me also say hi to my co-hosts, Yubi and Mike. How are you two doing? Hello, great. Super fantastic, Nina Ubaldo. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, this is only our second uh, video podcast episode ever. So this is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, you, you guys look fabulous, by the way. Just wanted to say. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Mike. You, Mike. <laughs> so um, this is a uh, so AJ is deaf. So part of the reason we wanted to do a visual today is because we wanted to make sure that our, our listeners can actually see AJ. AJ has brought, if you are just listening without the video, AJ has brought two ASL interpreters with him today. Um, so uh, you will probably be hearing, or you will be hearing the voice of a woman uh, who will be interpreting, but it mm -hmm. is in fact the voice of AJ, who is a, a black man who is deaf and um, you know brings so much to the conversation. And I just wanna make sure that our listeners are aware of that. Um, so AJ, how are you doing? I'm good. Fabulous. I'm excited to be involved with this show, this podcast today. We are too. Yeah, yeah we are. This is just, this is um, a really cool experience. And I do want to also acknowledge Anne-Marie and Kim um, are the, the ASL interpreters who are joining us as well. So welcome to you both. Um, AJ, yeah, I think we want to start like who are you, man? Like, we want to hear all about you. Like, where you, you've had such a fascinating um, journey to this point. I think we, we'd love to learn a little bit more about that. Sure. I wanted to start and thank you for inviting me, Nina. My name is AJ Moody, and I'm from a military family. And I wanted to start out with I was born. Um, in Germany. So my mother had no idea that I was deaf and how my mother found out that I became uh, deaf was when we were living in an apartment, a small apartment, and it was next to uh, a club. And so my baby crib was kind of up against the wall. And then, so there was sort of like this loud music kind of vibration. And my mother and my sister kept waking up all night long but I just slept all the way through. And so for weeks and weeks, 
my mom was feeling like there's something wrong. And so, you know, took me to the doctor and they, you know, checked me and, you know, so they closed the door, slammed it. And then to see if I would look. And then they said, no, I think he's fine. But it's just that, you know, I could feel the vibration or the wind or something against me. So my mom felt like, nope. So they decided to move to, well, we'd moved to Nebraska. And then I saw an audiologist and he did all the tests and found out that I was deaf. And I had become deaf when my mother was pregnant. She had a high fever uh, while she was pregnant. And that was what caused my hearing loss. And so, so first, you know, person in my family to, you know, be deaf and have a deaf background. And, you know, so I had no exposure to the deaf culture or deafness before that. So I had been in a mainstream school, which was an oral school. And so I first practiced, you know, speaking and, you know, I was in kindergartner, uh, in kindergarten um, in Washington. Um, that was the name of it uh, in the school in Washington. Um, and so it was the program I was in when they were calling it signing exact English. So I, I kind of kept growing up and then they moved, we moved to Texas, moved then again to Pennsylvania, moved again to Hawaii. Um, so I kept being in mainstream programs. Um, so then we moved to Colorado and that was when I started, you know, well, actually a teacher, there was a teacher who suggested, I think you should put your son into a deaf school. And then, um, to, so he can find his identity, you know, and I was behind in my education and my reading and my writing was behind because, you know, I didn't understand the interpreter. I, I, everything just kind of was going right past me. So then thought it might be better for me to go to a deaf school. So Colorado Sc Springs School for the Deaf and Blind was my first deaf school. So that was when I became exposed to American Sign Language, ASL. So, it was way different from seeing essential English because before I was supposed to be just signing in complete English sentences, but this was just kind of a, a different kind of abbreviated kind of a language and I picked it up really fast. So, so I was really acquiring language really fast and I really could identify with the culture and I was learning about different, you know, famous deaf people, actors and famous people that are deaf in sports and you know the instructors there were I had were deaf and everybody around was deaf and you know so before when I was in a mainstream program I was just maybe with one or two other deaf people it was just this you know small little world there but now you know when it really impacted me when I was really starting to acquire language and I started playing sports um, my coach who could sign in ASL really helped me a lot and, you know, I was learning ASL, I was learning the deaf culture, and I had the, I realized that I had possibilities to do more. At CSDB, um, I was there from 87 till um, my sophomore year, I think about four years. And so then, then I wanted to transfer to another deaf school um, in Maryland, Maryland School for the Deaf. So I moved for two years, my junior, my senior year and went there and arrived. And it was, it, it was a deaf culture that was the same, but most of the staff were deaf. So at CS2B, it was mixed. 
you know, there were staff that were deaf, there were staff that were hearing, uh, you know, and we were signing, but in Maryland school, most all of the staff, staff there are deaf. So the one problem when I, you know, got there, most of the um, people around were white. And then we had a lot of, you know, black students there, but when I would look at myself, you know, I, I would realize, you know, my identity there too, because of that. And it's like, ah, so then I started to become more curious and I was kind of trying to learn more about the history of racism, the history of slavery, the history of oppression, history of discrimination. So I'm kind of like saying, oh, so I started, hey, I was asking my mom, can you explain? You know, I was asking my mom about this. She always would give me a straight answer about anything about how we black people and you know African-American people have been treated. We've been treated awful with oppression, discrimination. Um, and so I, I ask one people when, you know, people look at you, they, what do they identify you as first? So when, you know, they don't identify me as deaf first, they identify, identify me as black first, but then they realize, oh, I can't hear. So I'm black deaf person. So then I realized, oh, that's when I started to kind of, you know, fully understand my identity, but maybe not yet totally. But I just, that's when it started for me at the Maryland School for the Deaf. So I just kept learning and time went on. And so, so we've got a national black advocacy um, to teach leadership. And most of the um, leaders there are black deaf or women that are black and deaf. Um, African-American students all come there, you know, from all different places around the United States and everybody socializes. We had workshops and different things. And so I graduated from Maryland School for the Deaf in 2012. And then I decided to go to college and I went to Fort, Lo Fort Lewis College in Durango and I played football there. So I was majoring in educational science so I majored in that, but then, you know, I had to end my football career because I had a brain injury. So then um, I just decided I didn't really want to do exercise science anymore. Uh, so then I transferred to Metro <laughs> State and that's where I met my two interpreters. So I decided to take um, a business major. So again, um, I took some classes in leadership and you know, I saw that some of the classes that they had there were in African history, African-American history. Um, so I took those and that really impacted me. That made me really research, you know, more in depth. And I found out all these different hidden truths about how slavery um, has, you know, continued all the way from 1619 until now. Uh, so in my life, you know, you know, with Black Lives Matter, you know, people are wondering, how did this start from the history all the way up until now? So that provided me with a better understanding. So I could really understand how I just tried to kind of understand about uh, the protests and, you know, make, you know, that Black Americans are heard. 
That is why I think that they have set up Black Lives Matter now. It, this all started in 1619 up till now. So I'm happy that I've found my deaf identity and my black identity. And how now I'm kind of like the intersectionality of, you know, I'm a black deaf male and to make sure that I understand my identities. So then if any other students ask me about, you know, how I identify or, you know, my racial identity, then I can, you know, provide the more information, you know, added to what they've already learned. All of what, you know, people, you know, always are asking me things and they want to learn and they want to understand because some people don't understand anything. It's not their fault. Uh, you know, it starts with us adults. So, you know, how we, you know, communicate with the students and we have to have unity with each other. And so, see, did I want to say any more about that? I think that covers everything. I know that Mike is chomping at the bit to ask you questions. So I'm going to give him space first to, to ask anything that he wants to ask AJ. Nina, I, I, I swear you have ESPN or something. I mean, wait. <laughs> um, no, AJ, <laughs> I, I really like um, uh, this episode. I, I, I feel like I connect with uh, my fellow community members from the uh, broader disability community. Uh, just like that's, that's my community. I, I, I don't speak the deaf culture, um, but I don't really speak the blind culture either. I just feel like I identify with uh, individuals who have experienced, um, you know, these kind of physical type challenges, right? Whether they're invisible or visible challenges, I feel like I just identify so much closer with that community. So I'd love to talk about, you know, what you're currently doing as a, as a head basketball coach uh, in Utah, uh, which again, Utah has a reputation of being fairly Caucasian. So I think this is going to be a you know, an intersectionality type conversation. But can you talk a little bit about your current uh, uh, occupation in, in uh, Utah? Oh, what's it like working in Utah? You want me to tell you a story about that? Oh, okay. Well, okay, first thing, um, funny story. Before I moved to Utah, my wife, um, her first job was at um, a deaf school in Ogden. So, so after they finished the interview, they wanted to hire her, but she asked me first. So the Utah Deaf School had already offered me a school. I mean, offered me a job, I mean. So <laughs> it's like, I said, well, go ahead. It's, you, you know, I'll follow wherever you go. You know, so if you found a job there, you know, and I, I really, you know, knew it's all white there. Um, you know, I, so some friends in Utah, you know, it's like, why Utah? People were saying, you know, <laughs> why would you want to live in Utah? And sometimes, you know, I do my research before I move. And so I, I realized there's a lot of potential there in, in Utah, especially um, USDB. Um, school 
so I moved there and it's been going pretty well. The people are really nice and friendly and really open and, you know, they're really understanding and, you know, so they wanted me, they said, to have a job as a coach and the head coach for the boys basketball. They wanted me to be involved with that. And so I said, okay. And, you know, I accepted it and I accepted the job as the coach and for the team. And so then the first thing that I could say or the story was, you know, they said, oh, we've, we never thought about hiring a black person to be our head coach for basketball. Uh, so I was like, oh, well, so I think they weren't really ready for this next step. So they wanted the best for their basketball program. And I want the best for the basketball program. So luckily, you know, I had met some of the students around before I became their head basketball coach. And, you know, they were very open. They were really enthusiastic about learning. And so, you know, I had high expectations because um, I came from a school um, that had, you know, the attitude, you know, that I would be able to give them the kind of experience, you know, and it would be fun, you know, and, you know, with the games. And also they were asking me, they were curious, you know, about, you know, I'm not white, but they were asking me about Hispanic people, you know, you know, they respect me, I respect them. And it really kind of impacted me, you know, when thinking about all the people were really open and we had a real brotherhood, a real family. There's no difference between any of us, you know, maybe just the color of our skin, but we're all deaf. We're, you know, we're all men. <laughs> we have made different skin, but, you know, we listen to each other and it didn't matter what, but so we've all grown up with different differences. We didn't grow up the same. We've grown up with all these differences. It's not our fault, but we can learn, uh, you know, we can, you know, communicate together and so when I'm working as a job coach now I see some students who are black or African-American um, are very excited to see a black man in their school they're so excited it's like it's their um like I'm like a celebrity there or something. Everybody's coming up to me and wanting to meet me. And so I was like, oh, okay. You know, so, you know, and I feel like I, you know, I socialize with them and, you know, I take my time to socialize with them to make sure that, you know, they're not alone, you know, that they're, you know, there's a lot of possibilities out there in Utah, you know, there's a lot of diversity. So anyway, it's been a good, really good experience for me in Utah. I can see myself living here, you know, for maybe five, seven, eight, nine years, maybe. <laughs> you know, I could become a leader here, maybe. <laughs> Yubi, do you want to ask your next question? Yeah, I would love to. I, you know, the I'm really curious about the language component and, and this, this, you know, the, the fact that other people are talking for you, Nina's got a separate question around that, but in general, 
the, the, the way you communicate is, is fascinating to me. And, and this might be a silly question, but do you, because you're using your arms and your hands to communicate, is there a physical component to that? Meaning, you know, do you find yourself exhausted, you know, at any point during the day because it, it's a physical movement just to be able to communicate? I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a, if that's a true thing or not. But it's, and, and, and then the differences in languages, right? You know, to, we talked about this before we started recording, but there, there's ASL, but then there's black ASL. And, and so, and you, you alluded to this when you, you know, went to Maryland. So what's that like, you know, the, the, the physicality of it, but also, but also having someone else speak for you. I think that's a fascinating thing because I think a lot of people, you know, especially in our climate today, you know, it's people want their voice to be heard. So how do you ensure that? I like your questions. <laughs> if I get physically tired, that's a good one. Um, well, basically, I get tired. Well, not really from signing. Um, I'm used to it. You know, I, I use it every day. That's our language. That's what we use to communicate with. So I'm, I'm almost never tired physically with it. But um, I'm prepared for it to communicate in ASL as our first language. And then the difference between black ASL and a, just ASL, um, I admit that I'm, I really don't know that much about black a ASL because I'm not really familiar, you know, because maybe I grew up in a different military family, you know, and I had learned, you know, I'm kind of behind in, you know, seeing sign language, you know. I see it on social media um, and some somewhat familiar, but I'm not really all that much familiar because I've grown up with just ASL, American Sign Language. You know, um, you know, there might be black African-Americans that live in the Southeast, Northeast or something like that with their families. Um, but actually black deaf school, that is who uses black ASL. They grew up with that. It's you know, might be in their family, it was generationally passed down, you know, but, you know, I come from a hearing family <laughs> where they were using spoken English. It would be nice for me to be able to learn more about Black ASL. I'm curious, you know, it might take time for me, though, to learn it. And then also, so today, Black Lives Matter When I kind of came here to Utah, Black Lives Matter and here, you know, you don't really hear anything about it. That's why some of these different people are always asking me, Black Lives Matter? Black, what is it? Why, why Black Lives Matter? What does it mean, BLM? What is it? What is it? Is it racist? Why is it? You know, why are they protesting? They keep asking me all these questions. Why this? Why that? And so I get so tired of explaining this to people over and over. So, you know, they could see now online, you know, about Black Lives Matter. So I decided, okay, no, I'm willing to explain, to clarify and make sure that people understand rather than any misunderstandings. So I explained, 
most of the time, you know, people understand, some still don't understand. Um, so I just kind of challenge them, well, what don't you understand? And so kind of we talk to each other, we give each other kind of like feedback or, you know, so it, there's been like this history that goes all the way back from 1619 until now. And it's all related to what's happening now. And so people say, oh, I see that's, you know, something that I didn't learn in high school. I took a history class or in college. I didn't know that. And so, you know, there's so many hidden truths about, you know, what's happened between 1619 up until now. And so most of the time, you know, <laughs> they put me in a situation, you know, and I'm supposed to speak for all deaf black people in the community. And I go, no, you know, I don't speak for all black deaf people in the community. I'm only speaking for myself. You know, I, it might be able to be possible to speak for some, not all. You know, I don't know black ASL. I don't represent, you know, all those people who really know all about their culture, that black, you know, ASL culture. So I might represent a person who's black deaf involved in a military family. That is, I'm from that background. I'm from a family who speaks English. I have, you know, some, you know, they have some sign. Um, they use me as kind of like a platform to speak for all people. And I have to keep emphasizing, I could maybe speak for some, a specific group of people, but not for everyone. And so then again, I'm happy to make sure that I can stand, you know, I know that we want to stand up because I know we want to be heard. I know we suffer a lot of frustration. I understand our goals, you know, you know, instead of people being, you know, always at odds, you know, I think we need more unity. I notice a lot of people right now are just, you know, always at odds with each other. And this is happening big time nowadays. And so, you know, I don't, you know, I don't bully people or I don't talk back to people or anything like that. I listen. And so, you know, when somebody says something to me, I might ask them a question like, well, why? And then I say, oh, okay, I get their perspective. I try to give my perspective. And then we both, you know, cause we've grown up differently. So, you know, I always keep that in the back of my mind that everybody has grown up differently, you know, and, and nobody's perfect, right? <laughs> so um, we all have our uh, flaws. Adrian, I think one of the things I wanna hit on is about the work that, cause you have your own consulting firm too that focuses on universal design. I would love to hear more about kind of, what is it that you're doing when you're doing this consulting work and what's the specific things that people need to be thinking about when it comes to being inclusive of the deaf and hard of hearing communities? So I'm glad that you brought that up because I almost forgot. Um, when we mentioned about, when I said about being deaf in a hearing world, um, this uh, consulting and universal design, um, I come from two different worlds the hearing world, my family. And then the other world is my deaf world where my friends, my wife, my wife's family are from. So I see, you know, weakness, strengths and weaknesses in both sides. So nowadays it's 2021 tech with all the technology, it's really far out. 
I mean, deaf and hard of hearing people in the community still though, it's not 100% effective. We still, uh, there's still flaws in this also. So my passion was to find a way to help businesses and organizations to see what kind of you know problems that they're dealing with, um, with deaf or hard of hearing people um, to come to their businesses. Uh, it's not really related to ADA. Most of the time people see me and they're, you know, they're thinking I'm talking about uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. I'm trying to know, not that. I'm trying to help the businesses to make sure that they don't lose business. They help them to make sure that they can um, not get, have be sued um, and things like that. I'm there to help them in how, you know, to give them feedback and ideas, um, how to make their business more accessible and uh, so, you know, that they'd have to maybe spend less money. Because when they see a deaf person, they think I might have to be spending more money. Like oh, for my phone, for example, um, I, Google, Pixels, four or five AG or something like that. Um, so then it's an accessible phone. It even has closed captions. I can get on it. Whenever I call my mother who's hearing, I call her. And then I can read the closed captions. And I was like, wow, that's great. So on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook, most of the videos, they don't have closed captioned. But then my phone can. It can, you know, add the, the closed captions from the sound. And then they just come up. And so I think it was last Saturday. I, I went, I was looking for a house. And so my real estate agent, um, they, you know, didn't know I was going to be deaf, but they were willing to try, you know, to accommodate me. So, you know, so I, they called me and then they were talking and my wife could read the closed captions. They just came up and it was just great. It was so accessible. And you, you know, the other businesses could use this too. It, you know, if you've got a phone and the deaf person has a phone. They could just hand it over to a hearing person. They read whatever they've said, give it back. You know, it works. And you know, it doesn't cost that much. Just a phone. It, you know, pretty, it's affordable. There's a lot of different technology and it really, you know, doesn't cost that much money. So I'd like to bring up every time a business uh, interviews a person who's, and then they see I'm deaf, for example, their first thought is, oh, I'm going to have to get an interpreter. I have to pay for an interpreter. I have to use interpreters 24-7. No, that's a myth, okay? We just need an interpreter for maybe two hours, one day, or two times a week, maybe, for a meeting. That's it. Just for a meeting, a big meeting, some kind of serious meeting, or whether explaining about policies or laws or anything like that, just an interpreter for that. But for regular, you know, work every day, just for, no, you don't have to have an interpreter. We could use the, you know, phone to go back and forth to, you know, write notes back and forth to each other. Or you could use email, you know, and like I said, now with my phone, the captions just come up when somebody talks on it. So, Nowadays, the technology is great. People don't think about that. It, you know, it's not that big a thing. Um, I'm just giving people feedback. I, you know, I just show, 
you know, remember that when you hire a deaf person, a deaf person might look at, you know, just list different things that they need. That's all, you know, and, and then they can just read it. Most deaf people tend to face a lot of autism. Autism, hearing businesses and the hearing organizations, or even some deaf schools, it just depends, you know, on what deaf school, um, because of, they look down on a deaf person. They say, oh, they can't do this, I can't do that, because they can't hear. So we have a lot of, you know, possibilities that we can do. But people are not willing to be open to it because their thinking is gonna to cost too much. Um, or they might get a lawsuit or, you know, it's going to be too hard to become accessible. So I'm just trying to give people feedback and trying to help them. That's all. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I just want to ask you one more question before we wrap up. Um, and this was just something, you know, that I, I asked you before because uh, you know, I think a lot about racial dynamics and, and, and power dynamics and, and, you know, how do we elevate the voices of marginalized people and, and you know, today, you know, your ASL interpreters are, are two white women. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? How do you feel about that? And uh, yeah, just kind of your thoughts about that overall. That's a good question. And I appreciate that you asked me this question. Um, because it has happened to everyone. What well, my opinion is, when I was growing up, I almost never have seen a black interpreter or I've never worked with a black interpreter. I did meet one or two maybe black interpreters. And finally, you know, after you know, maybe out of all these other interpreters out of, you know, like for maybe 17 or 18 years or something. Um, again, I'm not sure, but most of the time, like if these black interpreters have taken classes or if, you know, where they picked it up, um, I'm not really too sure. They could be, you know, anywhere around the US but most, I would say, people that are interpreters, the biggest percentage of them are white that I've met. Because everybody I meet, it seems like it, they're always white. Once in a while, there'll be a Hispanic woman or something and we'll talk. But, you know, always all the interpreters I've ever met have been white. You know, so all of a sudden when I see a black interpreter, I'm really kind of excited, you know, like, like in school, I, like, Sometimes uh, we have this service called Sorensen. It's a video relay service. It's a big company. Um, and most of those people who are interpreters there either are white male or white female. A really small, small percentage of black men or women that interpret, very small. So honestly, that's beyond my control. I, I can't really <laughs> go look and look and look for a black interpreter. You know, where am I going to find a black interpreter, you know, because I don't know where to find, you know, because they're hard to find. So that's why I picked these two to work with me, uh, because they had worked with me before at Metro State. Um, and I had their contact information. So I just text them and I asked them if they'd be interested to be involved. And both of them 
you know, asked me before, Nina had asked me, are you fine working, you know, with white women <laughs> to voice for you and interpret for you as a black male? And so again, it's hard for me to find any black interpreters. So I don't know what to do. Um, maybe out of state somewhere or, you know, I just, you know, they might be working somewhere else. So I just, you know, for now, <laughs> yes. Um, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, I mean, that, that question alone, I mean, there's so many layers to it. And also there's just a trust factor in general, I think where you're, you're literally, you know, you are trusting these people with, with your voice. And I think that's just a fascinating, that could be a whole other episode. So we'll save that for, for another episode to talk about, you know, trusting people with your voice. Cause I think that's super powerful, but AJ, uh, thank you. And, and thank you, Anne-Marie and Kim uh, for today. It was, it was really a, just a special impactful episode. Um, and, and you know we just we just love to bring your, your your voice to our audience to to continue to learn and understand how how different we all are right and and how individual we all are and how we all need to be you know just included for our gifts and and what that means and so thank you for the opportunity to uh, spend some time with you and be a part of the show Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed being involved. And I've been happy to have this opportunity. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. And thank you, audience, as always, for continuing to, to uh, tune in to Choose Inclusion. Um, like Nina said earlier, uh, this, this video uh, version will be accessible through our YouTube channel. So we'll put links out there because I, we really encourage you to watch, watch this one um, as well as listen. So. Thank you, Nina and Mike, as always, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see y'all next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.